Tonight, I want to talk about um, the Great Commission. And whether it's a verse that comes up here or it's the verse on the back of the wall there. It's, it's a verse, and, and I'm going to be reading from Mark, um, that we're all familiar with. Go ye into the world and bring the gospel to every creature. When I'm talking about the Great Commission, I want us to give special emphasis to the themes of expansion. Not just expansion of the kingdom, but expansion of us. God is constantly growing us, stretching us, expanding us. Why? Because there is a big, lost, hurting world out there that needs to hear about the love of Jesus. And he needs people that are willing to let God stretch them to do it. He needs people that are willing to endure difficulties for the sake of the kingdom. He needs people who are willing to press through inconveniences and uncomfortableness for the sake of a commission that is indeed great. I want to read it again. Mark sixteen fifteen, And Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We know this as the Great Commission, but do we know why this commission is so great? Before we... I'm going to take this Great Commission. I'm going to kind of set it on the shelf for a while. Possibly for the whole message, to be honest with you. It just depends on what the Lord's going to allow me to kind of bring. Before we jump into this Great Commission, I want us to look at another commission. And for the sake of... I don't know. I think just For the sake of it, we're going to call it the Good Commission. Because there was a commission that God gave to His disciples prior to this. And I want us to look at it. And, and I don't want it, there to be some huge aha moment. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to us constantly, kind of drawing our attention to the comparisons of a former commission that He gave His disciples and the great commission that He gives to each one of us. So let's look at this good commission from Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and I'm reading out of the New American Standard. It says, Jesus summoned His 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand at hand heal the sick raise the dead cleanse the lepers cast out demons freely you have received so freely give did you notice something just blaringly different about this commission and the great commission that we read from Mark 16 where the great commission tells them and tells us to go. This good commission specifically tells them where not to go. 
before telling them where to go. He says, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Is there anyone else that from initial sound, this sounds limited and sounds uncharacteristic to the Jesus that we know? Is there anybody that just is like, keep preaching, because right now at this point, it's, I, I'm, it's a little odd. It just sounds a little uncharacteristic. Not if we truly know that Jesus only does what he has heard the Father say and what he has seen the Father do. It's not uncharacteristic when we realize that he is utterly dependent upon the voice and the leading of the Father and he is absolutely obedient to do what the Father has instructed. He trusts the Father completely and we trust him completely. Jesus was walking out the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and Old Testament promise about to whom he would be sent about to whom he was called to save. What the Father had promised to do. The Father had promised to save the lost sheep of Israel, the lost sons of Israel. The Father had promised to save those who were so caught up in the law that they were in need of this first point of emphasis of Jesus' work. I can tell you right now, and I think this will ring true, as someone who gets up and ministers and has the, the thrill of, of being a pastor, there are challenges that come with, mil, with, with ministering to, to Christians who have a, a, a deep history of law, a deep history of religion. There are obstacles to overcome. They need to be free from certain entanglements that if you've got someone who just walks into the street and goes, tell me about Jesus and has never heard from him, and they give their life to him, those people are free, and those people are fired up, and I want to put those people to work. I want to put these, tell anyone about Jesus. Tell everyone about Jesus. Because they are religion free. They are free from law. Jesus came to set free the sons of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel, who were not free from the law, who were caught up into the entanglements of all the do's and don'ts. Oh my gosh, I can't keep up with them all. Do this, don't do this. It's not just 12 commandments. It's not just 24, it's not 10. It's, there were hundreds of laws. So if it seemed strange for Jesus to give that sort of commission, then I think you would definitely think it strange to see Jesus giving the silent treatment to a caring and concerned mom who called out to Jesus, pleading to set her daughter free. Jesus giving her the silent treatment was the best at that point because then soon thereafter he refers to her as a dog. Let's look at that. Matthew 15, verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region, Canaanite, so she's a Samaritan, she's a Gentile. This is, she's within the group of, of people that Jesus told the disciples, don't go to. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out saying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon possessed. But he, Jesus, did not answer her a word. 
And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. That away, disciples. That away to represent. They didn't come saying, Lord Jesus, would you, would you answer her prayer? Jesus, would you answer her cry? They're like, Jesus, make her go away. She's annoying. Goes to show that we are constantly, constantly learning and growing from the Lord. Friends, we gotta be teachable. But Jesus answered and said, and he doesn't answer her. He's still not addressing her. But Jesus answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And then he answers, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But I love the humility in this woman. Yes, Lord. Even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. There's a couple things to to keep in mind here. Number one, always trust Jesus. The disciples were given this Commission this this good commission from Jesus to go to to the sons of Israel to go to the lost sheep of Israel not to go to the Gentiles. Number one, we trust Jesus. Number two, they're His rules, and we follow Him regardless of whether we think He's keeping His rules or not. He always keeps His rules. What we see in this example is that Jesus does not turn away those who seek him. The command was, you don't go to these places. You don't seek out these places. Your purpose needs to be singular. Our purpose needs to be very direct. We are here now to minister to Jews. We are here to minister to the sons of Israel. That's who we're going to. But when we see Gentiles come to Jesus, seeking him, pursuing him, what do we see Jesus' response? Healing. Love, attention, ministry. When Jesus said that he was sent to the house of Israel, he is simply connecting his presence with God's purpose. He was connecting his presence in that moment with God's purpose. God's purpose of Old Testament prophecy, of who he was called to. Friends, do we connect our presence, our being here, our attention to the moment with God's purpose? Are we just as focused, singularly focused on the purpose and the call of God that we are attentive to the moment to say, I'm staying true to the course, but I'm flexible enough to respond when God brings brings people to me? In Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. You can read it later. Um, 
and we can even bring it up behind it. I'm not going to read it, but we see a prophecy in the Old Testament of Bethlehem that from this town would arise a shepherd to shepherd the flock of Israel. We see the fulfillment of this prophecy in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Paul knew this extremely well. In Galatians 4, 4 through 7, he says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. The promises of God are true. The promises of God we can trust. The plans and the purposes and the ways and the deliverables we can trust, even if we don't understand. Even if we don't understand. Even if they don't make sense. Even if they seem a little off. It seems a little off. Jesus given this woman, this Canaanite woman, the cold shoulder and given her the silent treatment. But we also have to remember He is God. He knew her heart. He knew that she was there and that she was not going to be denied. And he used it as a learning experience for his followers, for us. Every commission and every ministry must have priorities. It's called vision. It's called purpose. Every ministry, every commission has to have priorities. And Christ's ministry was no exception. His priority to the lost sheep of Israel. We saw in Matthew 10 there that at the beginning of their call, the disciples were given that commission where to go and where not to go. But Jesus did not forbid their teaching to the Gentiles, but only to stay on course. My favorite verse in the Bible, Romans 1.16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. Growing up, I left that part out. I left it out. I'm like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And I left that part out. Why? Because I didn't understand. Because I didn't understand. I didn't yet have understanding of his vast love and that that his plans are perfect. I thought it was I thought it was narrow-minded to say first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. I thought someone might say, Well, Mark, that doesn't make any sense. Why would he do that first? And I'd go, I don't know. Well, I know why. Because our God's ways are perfect. And we can trust his plan and we can trust his commission. And he had something bigger in mind, given that commission, and he had something bigger in mind, given us the commission he's given us. Remember the story of Jesus first revealing himself as the Christ? It, the, the story amazes me. Do you remember who Jesus chose to first reveal himself to that he was the Christ? You guys remember? The Samaritan woman at the well. That's who he, before that, he hadn't revealed himself. Yes, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. He chose to do that with the Samaritan woman at the well. 
radical. That is absolutely radical. That is mind-boggling. The disciples are all getting food for Jesus. He's sitting there, comes across a woman at a well, prophesies to her, speaks to her. She runs back into town. She tells everybody as the work of an evangelist, you've got to hear this guy. He told me everything I've ever done. She brings back a village of Jews, of Samaritans, of Gentiles. And they say, stay with us. Teach us. How does Jesus respond? When this crowd comes and, and seeks him, what is his response? He stays with them for two days. And John four thirty nine says, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Let me take us back back in time. A little trip through memory lane. Maybe we can, hopefully we can all remember this for ourselves, but if not, perhaps for a child or a grandchild, if the memory does not go back that far. Do you remember how we felt when the training wheels were taken off the bike? Try and go back there with me. The moment that your dad unscrewed the wheels on the side, tossed them on the grass, picked you up, put you on the seat, grabbed a hold of the back of the seat, maybe holding part of your shirt there, and grabbed this, the front of the handlebar. Said, All right, you ready? You remember that feeling? My first response is I want to stay excited. But that's not the prevailing feeling. Fear. Scared. Oh my gosh. I'm excited to do it, but I'm terrified because what if I can't? I'm terrified because that, that kept me safe. And now... I've got to do more. I've got to keep pedaling. I've got to keep going. Where am I going to stop? What about when I want to stop? What am I going to do? All these thoughts. But your dad's sitting there going, Now you got it. You got it, sweetie. Let's go. You can do it. You got it, buddy. The Great Commission. The Great Commission was the Father taking the training wheels off the church. And the completed work of Jesus Christ putting his followers in the seat. Saying where there were limitations, where there was a little bit more of a pointed emphasis, they're gone. It's now an entire world that you are sent to. And I need you to be part of this call. I need you to be part of this task. See, the Great Commission was given after Jesus had died and rose from the grave. 
after the veil had been torn from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. Not something that man could do to remove the veil between us and God. Something only God could do from top to bottom tore the veil on the temple. No more barriers between us and God. Then the Great Commission was given. He says, Go into all the world. All the world. All the world. And I love the point of emphasis. Bringing the gospel to every creature. Lord, what about Samaritans? Every creature. Lord, what about... I don't even know what that guy is. What about him? Every creature. What about the homosexual and lesbians? Every creature. What about Democrats and Republicans? Every creature. Every creature. The Great Commission is great because you and I are a part of it, not just 12 people. The Great Commission is great because we were included in that commission. We are included in that commission. And the training wheels have been taken off and we get to go into all the world bringing the good news of Jesus Christ. Excited? Yes. Anxious? Yes. Scared? Yeah. But it's time to put on the big boy pants. It's time to go forward with the bigger scope of the call of God for our lives, with a greater commission. Before we had training wheels, now we have this sleek, streamlined vehicle that has no limits. Question. I talked about our experience taking off the training wheels. How do you think the disciples, the followers of Jesus, who are the recipients of this message, how do you think they felt at this commission? Let's let's back up a little more than just Mark 16, 15, but let's start in verse 9. And we'll read through 18. Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, for whom, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way on their way to the country. They went away, reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Isn't that interesting? That's not much of a pep talk, friends. That's interesting timing. He just rebukes them for their complete lack of disbelief and their hard-heartedness. And his immediate commission is now, Go into the world. All the world. And bring this good news to all creatures. 
They were afraid. They were hiding. They were unbelieving. And this is the commission they gave. Friends, we have no excuse. Hey, I get it. We're not always comfortable with the commissions of God. We're not always comfortable with the cause of the Lord. Sometimes our, our belief isn't as strong as it should be. Their belief wasn't as strong as it should be. But it didn't stop him from giving them this commission and it doesn't stop him from giving us this commission. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Verse 17, These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up servants, serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. I tell you something that's cool about this, you know, this whole, you know, they will pick up serpents and if they drink any deadly poison. What's cool about this to me is the parallel to that first commission he gave when he says, you shall cleanse the leper. There's just an awesome parallel with this. See, you didn't cleanse lepers. You didn't go around lepers. There wasn't a cure for leprosy. You avoided lepers. They had their own little sick area and they they had to stay there. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The poisons in them won't harm you. And now what he's saying with this in the sermons, he's saying with the serpents, he's saying, you'll pick them up and their poison won't harm you. What he's saying is, greater am I. Greater is, is me than any sickness in this world than any illness, than any affirmity, than any serpent, than any poison. I don't know. I dig that. What a liberating call. You guys, we should never be able to hear the message of the Great Commission ever again without speaking the expansion of God. I first commissioned you to go here with this narrow focus, and now I'm saying it's all. given the ridiculous gift of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. Given the gift of the Holy Spirit to do everything that God has called us to do. Lacking no good thing. The Great Commission affects every single one of us. It includes Every single one of us. Somebody first told you about Jesus Christ. Someone first told you that he was good and that he was loving. I was staying at my I was staying the night at my sister's house over the Christmas visit back home. Her husband came home and I asked him how his night was with friends. He told me that he was spending time with his best guy friend and they got into a long discussion about God. It piqued my interest and we ended up having a long discussion also from about 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. That was the discussion that got me really thinking about God and what he could do with my life. A couple weeks later, I landed at Impact Rock, was saved, and the rest is history. Mia Peterson. I had a friend challenge me Are you going to heaven? I pondered and realized, I know Jesus as my Savior, 
am I giving all of me to him? The answer was no. He would say to me, depart from me. I never knew you. Would he say that to me? And that very day, the Holy Spirit saturated me. I gave my trust to God and I knew without any doubts, yes, I will be in heaven with all the other saints. Valerie Swanson. The truth of the Great Commission spoke to me long after I accepted Christ. Then I knew there were people out there that walked the walk much like Impact Rock. That is why I tell people about Jesus' love. It wasn't spoken. It was demonstrated for the first time in my life. Pam Beeler. Mine might be a little different. My mom was the one who led me to the Lord when I was pretty young. Nothing too fancy or dramatic. But she was the one who had a stronger influence than the church we were attending. Which I wouldn't say emphasized having a personal relationship with Jesus much. Nate Swanson. After our son-in-law died in a tragic car accident, I was hurt and angry. I doubted any God that could let that happen. I was alone in my truck one day and called Mark Manti to talk. I don't remember the words he said. I just know he told me about the love of God for me and the power of Jesus Christ. He told me that God was always with me. He invited me to a church that was just planted in Erie. You guessed it, Impact Rock. There I met several people who did not judge me for who I was and accepted me and made me feel like part, part of the family. Hawk Felstead. Do we still weep for the lost? Do we still weep for those who are hurting and in need of Jesus? Are our spirits still bare? And are we still desperate to see a lost and a hurting world come to know the goodness of our God? I want to read a little bit from Isaiah 61 as I'm closing. And I want you to take I want you to own this. I want you to take ownership of this verse. Each one of us, friends, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, I want us to own this. Isaiah 61 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. He has sent me to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. He has sent me to comfort all who mourn. He has sent me to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes. Beauty for ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So that they will be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That He may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. He's already talking about the promise of those we're ministering to. He's already talking about the destiny and the goodness of those that we are sharing Jesus with. He's already letting us know what they will do. And they will raise up the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. 
Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks. And foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you, you will be called priests of the Lord. And will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. We're called priests, right? That's what this says. Friends, priests have always then and always will make sacrifices so that others can come into the presence of God. Priests make sacrifices so others can know Him. I don't care if it's Old Testament or New Testament. And we are priests. Verse 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. As snow is falling outside, if we looked outside and saw people standing out there without a coat, we saw people freezing, people bare, people shivering. There's not a person in this room that wouldn't take their coat, their robe, and give it to them. Friends, we've been given a garment of salvation and of righteousness. And we get to enjoy the warmth of it. We get to enjoy the warmth of His presence and His love and His forgiveness and His grace. And there's a hurting world outside those doors that are freezing, that need the garment of salvation, the robe of righteousness. They need to be clothed with salvation. And we need to be obedient to that commission, that great commission. The Great Commission is not convenient. It's not called the Convenient Commission. And it's not comfortable. It's not called the Comfortable Commission. It's called the Great Commission. And it's neither comfortable nor convenient. But my friends, it's also not optional. Not if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. We are all called to it. If I love Jesus, I will follow His orders. I will love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and I will love neighbors as myself. I close with this one verse from 1 John 5, 5. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You guys, this world has no chance without people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God enough to do something about it. Let's be those people, amen.